Hi, my name is Linda. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Jay. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of the Lord. Thank you for standing for the gospel. <clears throat> My name is David. The gospel reading is taken from John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you remain standing as we pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes because we want to see Jesus in a fresh way today. And open our ears because we want to hear your voice speaking to us today. And open our hearts because we don't just want to be informed or challenged. We want to be transformed today. We pray these things through the name of your Son and to the glory of God. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're starting a new series this morning called Tuned In. And there's an old-fashioned radio that some of you will recall with fondness. Maybe you had a set like that in your house, and we've called it Tuned In because it's all about learning to listen to God, learning to, to pick up his voice. And so next week, we'll talk about listening to God through scripture, what it means to read the Bible, not just as a textbook or a workbook, but as a, as a living word of God. We'll talk about that next week. And the week after that, we'll talk about what it means to listen to God through others and through the gifts and, and, and ministry of others. We'll also talk about what it means to listen to God through life, through the nudges and impressions that we get and what the gift of discernment might look like for different ones of us. But this morning is kind of, as we set this up and we say we're doing a series on learning to listen to God, maybe that triggers a few alarms for you. Maybe for some of you you're saying, oh no, this is where stuff gets weird, you know? Or maybe you're saying, okay, great, I've been waiting for this. I mean, I like that whole series on the Nicene Creed, but that's all old, dead stuff. I want the living, exciting stuff. So you're excited. 
Chances are when we talk about a speaking God, it could conjure up different impressions. And I thought it might be helpful if I just told you, or maybe refreshed for some of you, a bit of my own spiritual journey and and what this, how I grew up and how this sort of uh, took shape for me and what influenced me in seeing uh, this the way that I do. I grew up in Malaysia, which is about as far as you can go on the other side of the world before you start coming back, the world being round and all of that. And uh, my parents, who many of you have come to know, they're sitting right here in the front. My dad uh, grew up in a Hindu family. And uh, so it wasn't a question so much of listening to God as it was which God, right? And uh, which God would you please and that sort of a thing, although they were largely silent. It was more about what you did for them. And my mom grew up in an Anglican home. It comes from about three generations of Anglicans, um, thanks to wonderful British missionaries, And the two of them met at the University of Singapore, and um, basically as they started dating, my mom said, well, I'm not going to marry a Hindu, and my dad said, I think I can fix that. (laughs) And uh, so we don't typically recommend that strategy, but it happened to work. And then into into the first few years of their marriage, there was a Baptist pastor who somehow they got connected with with through some friends, and this Baptist pastor began to invite them to a Bible study and began to disciple them and teach them how to study the Bible, and their hearts and minds were coming alive as they were learning to read the Bible and understand the Bible in fresh ways. So that was a huge piece of this while they remained at their Anglican church. And then on on separate occasions for the two of them, they were at different meetings or services where they were introduced to the gift of the Holy Spirit. This would have been the 1980s. This was when the Pentecostal movement was was sweeping the globe. I think it hit America earlier, and then you know it sort of has a little late effect when it comes around the world. And so there were these. There was the full gospel businessmen's movement for my dad. And he caught it once on a business trip at a hotel ballroom. He's kind of wondering what's going on. He pops his head in with his luggage. This guy's talking about the gifts, the Holy Spirit being living and active. My dad's like, I I want that. And he goes up to the front, gets prayed for, receives a strange kind of language that he's just sort of discovering is a prayer language of the Spirit. And then he grabs his luggage and goes to the airport and comes home, if I'm telling the story loosely right. Yep. And uh, (laughs) I used to be able to tell these stories with a lot more liberties. Now they're here. Um, it's different now. <laughs> so so you, there they are, attending an Anglican church, being discipled by a Baptist pastor, and then being introduced to the, by the Pentecostal renewal to the work of the Holy Spirit. They eventually decide to try to start a prayer service at their Anglican church, which at the time was not greeted very warmly, and so they finally had to leave. And so um, by the time my sister and I were in our, uh, I'm not quite sure how old we were, I was probably six or seven, my sister would have been nine or so, uh, we joined a church that was called Full Gospel, um, because that was one of the ways back in those days that you said, we, we, we're not just about, we don't stop the gospel with Jesus, we continue on to the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways people talked about it, admittedly a, a somewhat clunky way of talking about it, but it was, you understood the point. And so we were part of that church, and it was in those years that the Lord really began to speak to my parents, and they began to un- understand that you could hear the voice of God. And in that process, they felt like the Lord was speaking to them, calling them to leave their careers and to go into vocational ministry, full-time ministry as pastors. And they had friends that had gone to a Bible school in, in America, in Portland, Oregon, uh, a small Bible school named Portland Bible College. And so they prayed about it and, and said the Lord was speaking to them. So this was my early introductions as a child, that God is not silent. 
that God speaks. In fact, the beautiful thing, and this is kind of a good sort of family thing, is both of my parents invited my sister and I to also pray about this decision and to say, would the Lord speak to our children too and give them an impression? Now, I don't know what that's fully like, but as a nine or 10-year-old and the decision was, shall we move to America? It was easy to hear the voice of God. It was like, yes, <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, <laughs> you know? So, so we lived in Portland for three years and then we moved back to Malaysia, continued to be part of that church. And then came time for me to go to college and I came back to the States and went to a Christian university that... Uh, could probably be described as more charismatic than Pentecostal. Some of you will know those nuances. Some of that stuff was new for me. I was introduced to a particular brand of, of charismatic theology that um, was, I had never known before that was a little bit more, um, if you can conceive it, you can believe it and then receive it, you know? Uh, it was a little bit more like, I mean, I heard, once heard a guy at, at that place say that God is like a Coke machine. If you put in a dollar, you would expect to get a Coke. So if you give to God, would, why wouldn't you expect to get something? So I, it was all very confusing. I, I didn't think that was right. But we also had great professors who were full of, would open class with, with prayer times and then go on and exegete the Greek texts and all of this stuff. So we, it was a good mix. But I, I remember one particular chapel speaker who would get up and he would start to speak and he would say, students, it's so great to be here today. And then all of a sudden he would interrupt himself and he would say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What's that, Lord? Okay, I'll tell him, Lord. Okay, yes. And then he would say something. And it was like, I, I, it was confusing because sometimes it seemed like the word might have been right, but there seemed to be a lot of theater to it. And maybe that's you. You're like, yeah, that's all I know is kind of the weirdo sort of thing. And so maybe, then it wasn't just sometimes weird, then, then it would also be messy. So students were kind of trying to find their way in hearing the voice of God. But when you have 5,000 students under the age of 23 or so, the Holy Spirit and hormones get a little bit difficult to differentiate. <laughs> you know, so, so someone would go out on a date and they would think, this girl is gorgeous. And they would say, I, I think the Lord is calling you to be my wife. And she'd say, I'm pretty sure he's not. <laughs> and so it was messy because we were trying to figure out how to hear. At the same time, there were also some profound moments. I have friends to this day that we, were, we, we, uh, we became friends during those years in college. And one in particular is leading a ministry today to work with orphans. And he reminds me frequently of a word that I gave him during one of those chapel times in college where he said, Glenn, do you remember you, you prophesied that I was going to be help the, the fatherless connect with fathers? I'm doing that today partly because of that word. So how do you sort out the good from the weird, from the, from the messy? How, how, how do you sort through this? The first thing I want us to say is that our faith is not simply an ancient faith. It is a living faith. It is a living faith. And I think it is brilliant that with Brady and our whole teaching team that somehow we, we are putting a series on the Nicene Creed, butting it up right against a series on the speaking God. Because we affirm both things at New Life. We affirm that our faith is indeed a historic and ancient faith and we're tethered to a story and we don't get to make this stuff up with changing tides. At the same time, it is a living faith. That this isn't just something that we're like, oh, yeah, it's old and dusty and bring it up. No, no, no. It's this God is alive. God is a speaking God. Think of how the scriptures introduce us to this God. 
We heard the Old Testament reading this morning from Genesis. One of the first things we are told about God, if you're a literature person, you know, when you're reading a story, you look for what one of the first things you find out about a main character is, right? You want to know, what's the, one of the first things the author tells you about the main character? Well, one of the first things the Bible tells us about God, besides in the beginning God created, it says, and God said. This is not a silent God. This is a speaking God. And so out of darkness, God speaks. In the Garden of Eden, you see Adam and Eve walking with God, walking and talking with him. And then even when sin happens, even when there's separation from God, even when the man and the woman are driven out of the garden and there's this question of what's going to happen, will the speaking God all of a sudden grow silent? Is that what the scriptures tell us? No. Instead, you have God finding a man named Abram and speaking to him, saying, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, and I am going to use your family to bring blessing and salvation to all the families of the earth. There's this brilliant story in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 of God making covenant with Abraham, coming and walking between the sacrifices. This is a God who always draws near. This is a God who, even when we were intent on running away, he was persistent to, to pursue. This is a God that follows, that chases, that speaks. Jacob, remember the story of Jacob, Abraham's grandson? He's on the run, and yet God meets him in a vision. He has, his, he has this vision of a, this, the original stairway to heaven, you know? Angels ascending and descending. That's while he's on the run to Laban's house. Then when he's on the return and he's unsure about what's going to happen, he has another encounter. He wrestles with this God-man sort of mysterious encounter. You see, God is always chasing us down and calling out to us. Joseph is sold in slavery. He ends up in Egypt in the epitome of a secular environment. And yet, God speaks to Joseph. He begins interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. Fast forward a few generations, all of the people of God are living as slaves in Egypt. If there was anywhere where God should have been silent, it should have been Egypt. And yet one day, a fugitive murderer fleeing to the wilderness from Egypt sees a bush burning and yet not consumed, and he turns aside and a voice calls to him, Moses. This is a God who speaks, who calls. Eventually, they become their own nation. They have kings, and then those kings rebel, and the nation splits into two, and you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and you're thinking, now they've really done it, as if all their years of rebellion weren't enough. This has got to be the end of it, right? And yet God, through the prophets, calls out. If you want to know how, how hard God was working to get their attention, Think for a minute how dramatic the prophets were. Isaiah names two of his sons after events that he's prophesying, one of which is quick loot, fast plunder. It's time for dinner, quick loot, fast plunder. Isaiah walks around barefoot and naked for years. How's that for a dramatic sign? Jeremiah buys land because God says, he says, God wants you to know we're going to come back here. 
Ezekiel builds a full-scale model of the city and lays on one side for 390 days and then on the other side for another 40 days. These prophets did the most bizarre, extravagant things. Why? As a symbol of God saying, I am trying to break through your deafness and your blindness. This is the speaking God. And then when we thought it was all over, when there were 400 years of silence, no prophets, no word from the Lord, surely it's ended. God sends not simply another prophet, but the word, the second person of the Trinity, the very logos, the word of God became flesh. Jesus arrives. Our New Testament reading this morning said it, but let's hear it again. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. This is the the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, there have been all of these hints before, there have been all of these attempts before, but there was nothing so dramatic and history-shattering as when the Son of God came. John said it. He said, when we beheld Jesus, we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. This was different than hearing a thus saith the Lord. This was beholding the very glory of God, full of grace and truth. I have a friend who likes to say it this way. He says, Jesus is what God has to say. I love that. Jesus is what God has to say. Sometimes people will ask me, Glenn, there, there are things that I read in, uh, about, about God. There's, there's some violence in the Old Testament. I, I don't know. Is that God's last word on violence? No. Jesus is God's last word on violence. And what does Jesus say about it? Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. It's stunning, isn't it? See, we do believe in a trajectory in the scripture, but not a trajectory that never ends, a trajectory that culminates in Jesus. Jesus is the full and final word of God. Everything in the Old Testament leads up to him, and everything in the New Testament looks back to him. Jesus is what God has to say. Sometimes if you're wondering, what is God's last word on the subject, look at Jesus, the full and final revelation of God. But we could stop there this morning, and I would do you a disservice. We could stop there and say, there it is. God has spoken through Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. Therefore, let's stop. But it's not actually where Jesus stops, is it? Do you remember at the end of John's gospel where Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're a little worried because he's leaving? And rightfully so, they've come to understand that Jesus is how they are going to know God, the Father. And so they're saying, well, if you go, how are we going to know him? How are we going to have interaction with him? And he says, no, actually, it's good for you that I go. It's better for you that I go. And they're thinking, no, no, it can't be better because you're flesh and blood right here. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. When I go, the Father will send the Spirit. Church, my question this morning is, do you really believe that having the Holy Spirit is better than having the incarnate Son of God with us today. Well, at least in one very logical, practical way it is because having the Holy Spirit means every believer now has this direct access to God. Versus with Jesus, he had his 12 and then even then the three and all of that. And so Jesus says, it's, it's better for you that I go because I'm going to, the Father is going to send the Spirit. 
who's also God, the third person of the Trinity, and it's going to make all the difference. Luke, Luke tells the story with some dramatic elements. In the Old Testament, there was a feast called Pentecost. Pentecost was this feast after uh, Passover. It was 50 days after Passover, and the reason the, the feast was celebrated was because 50 days after Passover, 50 days after they had been delivered from Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and what happens that day? On the 50th day, Moses goes up to Sinai, and God gives him the law. But do you remember, it wasn't actually just supposed to be Moses. The story the Old Testament tells is God wanted Israel to approach the mountain, but they said, we're terrified. We don't want it. Moses, you go. And so God says, fine. Moses, here's the commandments. Here's the teaching, the Torah. Many times the Torah gets misrepresented as being rules. I want to help us this morning. When you hear the word law, don't hear rules, hear teaching. The Hebrew word is not law, like rules, like as if God was a, a, a hard rule master. And then in the New Testament, he softened with old age and said, yeah, just grace, just, just go ahead. No. It was always he saved them from Egypt and then gave them teaching on how to live since they had been saved. Right? Pentecost in the New Testament, what happens? 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Luke tells the story in the book of Acts this way. He says, we were all waiting in an upper room, 120 of us or so, and all of a sudden the sound like a mighty rushing wind came into the room and there were tongues of fire and the spirit descended on us. Why does that matter? Because what Luke is trying to say to us is, look, Moses got the teaching. Christians get the teacher. Moses got the teaching. You get the teacher. See, now you don't just have the teaching. We have the teacher living inside of us. We have the teacher living inside of us. The beauty of Pentecost is this exactly what Jesus said. Look, when the Spirit comes, he will teach you into all, in all truth. He will guide you. We don't just have Torah. We have the Spirit, the very teacher now, if we were to kind of put this together, I want to say one last thing before we move on to what this looks like for us. Remember Genesis 1, it says the earth was formless, and it said the Spirit was hovering over the water, and then it says, and God said. If you were to look at this passage, you'd say, you know what I see? I see a God who creates by the Spirit and the Word. Now, John interprets this for us, and he says the word, the word is not a text. The word is the second person of the Trinity. So we don't believe in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so John puts this together and basically says for us, the speaking God speaks through Jesus and the Spirit. The incarnate word who became flesh and the spirit who keeps making that word alive, making Jesus alive. Now, I know you're listening to this and you're saying, wow, so what does that mean for us? I want to say three things about the Holy Spirit this morning. Of course, we could say a dozen more. But just to set up this series about God being the speaking God, 
I want to say three things about how God speaks through the Holy Spirit. The first is this. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. Bottom line. John 15, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Do you know the single greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is revealed? It's that Jesus is revealed. Sometimes I've been in different settings where people say, oh, the Holy Spirit is here. And then they point to other manifestations. Some, sometimes it's an experience. Sometimes it's something sort of strange. Or, and, and listen, I've lived through this enough that I've had them all. Laughter, falling out, all but the glory dust. But the single greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is revealed. Is that Jesus is revealed. So... This means that when you're trying to discern, Lord, are you speaking to me through your spirit in this way, through this church or through this uh, uh, situation or place, one of the ways you can discern that is to say, am I seeing Jesus more clearly? Am I seeing Jesus more clearly as a result? I remember when I was in high school, my dad, you know, I told you his conversion was pretty dramatic. And so it meant setting aside several things. From, for him, it meant setting aside um, alcohol and cigarettes and, and also his love of Elvis Presley, which is a bit sad because I wish we had those vinyls. But it, but it was a dramatic conversion. And so the day that I came home from youth group with a cassette tape that I was trying to convince my dad to trust me that this was Christian rock. He couldn't fathom that. He's Christian rock? He's like, what's next, Glenn? Christian cigarettes, you know? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, he didn't compute. I was like, no, dad, really? Like, it's Petra. It means like, you know, rock. There's a higher place to go beyond belief. Anyway, okay. Man, it was a good tape. It's a good tape. Good cassette. But my parents, in their wisdom, said, all right, all right, Glenn, you're 13. We're going to let you practice discernment here. And so my dad said, I'll give you a week to listen to this cassette, and you tell me, does it bring you closer to Jesus or not? I think that's actually really profound, isn't it? We say, when we say something, it's like, oh, I think the Spirit is working in this. Okay, okay, okay. So do you see Jesus more clearly as a result or not? And that's one of the ways to say, how is Jesus speaking? Is, Jesus at, is the Spirit at work through this? The second thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit teaches us. John 14, these things, this is Jesus talking, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now, I've taught on this text before, and I, you may recall that I've said this. When Jesus says, in my name, the very idea here is, in my stead. The Father will send the Spirit in my stead, as me, the Spirit of Christ. That's why the New Testament sometimes calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been in a situation and you're saying, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do, and all of a sudden you remember the words of Jesus that says, you know, uh, bless those who persecute you. And you're saying, oh, yeah, that's what I need to do at my job tomorrow. The words of Jesus come rushing back to your mind and to your heart. Like, yeah, 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 that, that's it. 
First Corinthians, Paul says, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Why have we received the spirit? That we might freely understand the things that have been given to us from God. And then he says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those of us who are spiritual. Next week, we'll talk quite a bit more about this, how there is the Scripture that is spoken to us, and it is the Spirit who makes the Scripture come alive. You know, this might be a technicality, but sometimes people will say, I was reading the Bible and I got new revelation. In a sense, you're not actually getting new revelation because the Scripture is complete, but you are getting new illumination. The Spirit is helping you understand it. Ah, oh, Lord, that's what's happening here, and you start to make a cross-reference. We'll talk about this a bit more next week. It's a wonderful thing to read the Scriptures prayerfully. The third thing I want to leave us with this morning is that the Holy Spirit leads us. John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is fascinating. Do you know why? Because the disciples really needed to know what to do in certain situations. The book of Acts, and we did a whole series on the book of Acts when New Life Downtown began three and a half years ago. The book of Acts is essentially an answer to the question, how will the good news of Jesus spread beyond Jewish communities? Right? That's the question. It's like, Jesus, you're great. You hung out in Galilee and Samaria. All this. Great, great. But how will the good news of Jesus spread beyond this? And the disciples kind of want to know too, right? And the book of Acts says, I'll tell you how it spreads. It spreads by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you read the book of Acts, it, it'd be an, a wonderful Bible study for you to do on the side of all the verbs connected to the Spirit. In the book of Acts, Luke tells us that the Spirit, sometimes they say the Spirit would not allow us to go, or the Spirit compelled us to go. Listen to this in, in Acts 8, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. So Philip goes over and joins the chariot. Peter, remember the story of Peter and Cornelius? He sees this vision. And while Peter was inwardly perplexed, it's the spirit that says to Peter, hey, there's three men looking for you. Go down and meet them. There are these moments where the spirit is leading us. But I want to put just a bit of a finer point on this. I think the spirit leads us in order that he might continue the mission of Jesus through us. This is an important qualifier because sometimes we say, I think the spirit is leading us solely for my own sort of personal gain. Now, I think very often we do benefit from it when we pray for discernment and we make decisions. It turns out to be good for our work or our businesses and all that. I think that's wonderful. But the big picture is the Spirit leads us so that the mission of Jesus can continue through us. That's the reason. It's not so we can have bragging rights and be like, I'm so spiritual. The Holy Spirit told me what to eat for breakfast this morning. That's how spiritual I am. Now, interestingly enough, 
I heard a story the other day of a woman who said, I felt a strange urging to go to this new restaurant for a very late lunch. And when I got there, I was, someone approached me about what I did. I told them I was in prayer ministry. And it led to this whole miraculous conversation and praying for them. Now, so you see, sometimes the Spirit does lead us to go get a burger at later, right? right? But the, the, the reason he does is so that the mission of Jesus may continue. All of the leading of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is not for bragging rights, it's not for personal gain, it's for the mission of Jesus to continue. The only way the church becomes the church Monday through Saturday is when we wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me today as I go to my workplace? Holy Spirit, would you lead me as I go to class today? Holy Spirit, would you lead me as I have conversations today? Because I want the mission of Jesus to continue through me today. That's the power of believing and belonging to the speaking God. Several years ago, I was on an airplane on a late flight, had one of our kids with us, and we were, I was headed, me and, and one of our kids, um, to Iowa to do a funeral for one of Holly's grandparents, and she had already gone ahead with the other kids, and and I was tired. I think I had just preached or something like that, and I was exhausted, and I, it was the last thing I wanted to do. And I remember sitting on the flight about to land. It was after midnight, and just thinking, God, this just seems like this is not what I... I didn't have margin for this, right? You ever have those moments? And just clear as anything, I felt this impression in my heart, the Spirit saying, I am sending you. I am sending you. And friends, I want to tell you, it is all the difference in the world when you enter your day believing that the Spirit is sending you. You can face everything when you believe that the Spirit is sending you. The Gospels tell us the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You can make it through wilderness seasons if you believe the Spirit is with you, is leading you, is helping you. We're going to get into this much more in the weeks ahead. This morning, what I want to grip your heart is that because of Jesus, the veil is torn. And that God has always, always, always wanted to break down the barriers, break down the walls, so that he and you can walk together. The great Saint Augustine, sometimes we think these theologians of the church were all just intellectuals, probably the most influential theologian in Western theology, Saint Augustine in the fourth century. We just wrote a song on this last week, Abby and I and some others. Augustine writes in his confessions, you called and you shouted and you broke through my deafness. You burned and you blazed and you banished my blindness. Augustine is saying, God, before I even knew to love you, before I even knew to call on you, you were calling me. That's the God I want you to know this morning. Would you bow your heads?